So we are here today with Danielle Peterson, who is a dog trainer. She actually has trained my dog, Apollo. Danielle's business is called Elle's Pampered Paws, and it's here in Richfield, which is about 10 or 15 minutes from where I live here in Utah. She started her business solo and outgrew her first building of 15 kennels and expectations in the first eight months. She is now in a building of 32 kennels with a training room, grooming that is coming this year. Elle's Pampered Paws is now a sought out destination for travelers and locals to bring their dogs for any of their needs. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Hello. So we are here today with Danielle Peterson, who is a dog trainer. She actually has trained my dog, Apollo. Um, and since almost every horsewoman that I know owns a dog, we wanted to bring her on and discuss kind of some of the similarities between dog training and horse training and just get a little bit of Danielle's story and maybe some tips and tricks for how to handle our own dogs. Perfect. Yeah, We're excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Is this correct that you have a staff of six right now, Danielle? Yeah, my almost second year here come May, we have six full-time staff members, so. Awesome. That's pretty cool for just two years in business. You grew fast. Yeah. I have yeah. to remind myself we're still babies, but I got goals <laughs> and we're reaching them and exceeding them, so. Oh, it's it, that's a really good feat, honestly, to have six employees and then be able to more than double your kennels. That's awesome. Yeah, it's needed. We We have lots of dogs in the valley that need a place to go and parents who need help. So it's a good, good thing to have. Awesome. So let's dive into your story a little bit. Um, were dogs always something that were a part of your life? Did you train at a young age or were they just pets when you were young or kind of give us a little bit of background here? All of the above. <laughs> so I grew up with a pheasant farm and a farm with both sides of my family. So whenever I visit grandma and grandpa or they babysat me as the first grandchild I was always with dogs and with grandpa working dogs so I started probably at the age four they say working with their their uh, bird dogs so we taught them recall at my age of you know so mature four years old <laughs> and then I just kept going from there we had that pheasant farm until I graduated high school so I did a lot of recall work bird dog work sport dog work recall work and um our family always had a dog that's actually just a pet. And so I did a lot of basic obedience from home and trick training just to make the parents jealous because the dogs always listened to me better than them. <laughs> <laughs> so my family called me the dog whisperer and it, they were all my dogs, not their dogs. So always have had a dog, always loved it. I've loved learning and growing in my knowledge of how to help them better. So I'm branching out to a lot more things now. So like behavioral management, aggressive anxiety, and also just overall behavioral management. That's awesome. And I know, like, like you said, with the anxiety, when you worked with Apollo, that was a big thing with him is just like his nervousness and his, his uncertainty. Um, so it's, it's been fun to see 
see a change just in my dog um, personally, and let alone all these others that I see on your Facebook page that you post all these updates of. It's so cool to see how they um, shift and change. And it, it is very similar to a lot of what I work on with horses um, because in my case, I get a lot of horses that are scared of their shadow or scared of plastic bags or <laughs> scared of humans too. Um, and it's it's always fun to see when their confidence levels start going up. Um, so definitely a favorite part to see their confidence change and their owners to see the change too. So yeah, well, and especially where we live and Michaela used to live down here as well there are a lot of people that it is, it's not about getting them to handle their anxiety or emotions. It's about strict obedience of just like, I don't care how you feel, do it and do it now. Um, so it's, it's been really nice to find a trainer to help my dog Apollo um, that is so close by that has a lot of the same values that I do. So, Do you want to tell our listeners what you had Danielle do with Apollo and what was going on with him just so they have some background there and how you met her and yeah, all the things. Yeah. Um, so Danielle and I actually met country swing dancing years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we met before all the dog stuff happened, (laughs) but so Apollo's story, he is a red nose pit bull, um, which a lot of people have prejudices against pit bulls. (laughs) Um, but he is just a sweetheart. When we went to get him, um, his owner worked three jobs and uh, she just didn't have the time for him. She was also possibly moving up to Salt Lake um, where she would not be allowed to own a pit bull because of the the rental property agreements and things. Um, so she really wanted to find him a, a good home. And so we went to meet him and um, he just loved Trip and Thea, my kids, just so sweet with kids. And you could stick your hand all the way inside his mouth and he would not bite down, like just super, super sweet dog. So um, I'm particular about making sure, especially if it's an adult dog that I get around my kids, that they haven't had a background of being <laughs> aggressive or things like that. Um, so it was nice to see that with him. But later down the line, with Apollo, we kind of realized that he had had zero socialization. Um, He had been kept in a kennel most of the time with his owner because when she was working her jobs, which some of them were uh, work from home, that he was in that kennel the whole time because she couldn't, she didn't have the time to potty train him while she was working. And so she would lock him up because he wouldn't pee in his kennel. So he spent a lot of his first year and a half of life in a kennel. And, um, so anyway, very, very minimal socialization. And so he would, he had like some leash aggression issues and then just really nervous about new dogs. Um, when he's away from home and he's nervous about dogs, he kind of wants to like cower and hide and and be away from them. But when he's at home and we actually kind of found this out through me running my Airbnb that I have above my garage, um, when people would bring their dogs, he would like get so nervous about him he would want to bark and lunge at him and stuff and it was like whoa Uh, so we kind of found that out a little later through the game there Um, and so I realized that he just needs socialization he needs to realize that meeting other dogs is normal and he doesn't need to be scared of these other dogs 
Um, Cause he really just, he doesn't even know how to greet dogs or I should say didn't um, like as far as like sniffing each other's hind end or like how to greet and say hello. Um, and then he was also one incident that happened with my Airbnb was um, one of my, my guests that came um, had scared Apollo. So I specified to my guests that if you, that my dogs are farm dogs, they are loose on the farm. Sometimes they're very friendly, but they're excitable. Um, and Apollo loves people. And so does my other dog, Geronimo. So, um, but this guest decided they didn't need to let me know when they were coming and going. And Apollo came and barked at him. And, um, but this guy just hated dogs. And apparently his wife told me that he had been a paper boy. <laughs> when he was young and so she's like he's just always hated dogs because they were always coming after him as a paper boy and I'm like well I, I can understand that but um he ended up kind of like lunging at at Apollo and like shaking his bicycle at him and it really like shook Apollo and he ever since then he kind of started getting more nervous of men in particular um so it was like okay we gotta fix this before it turns into any kind of human aggression, um, because even though he's not necessarily quote unquote aggressive, fear turns into aggression um, if he feels the need to protect me or protect our property. So yeah, so Danielle came and started taking him. We started with him coming just a couple of days a week, two or three days a week. Um, and then at one point I had him come six, was it six or seven days a week? I can't remember. We're doing all seven days a week. Was it seven? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, he just needs to be immersed in it every day, all the time. Um, and it has helped quite a bit. Right now, he's not actively in training with Daniel, but he, we go to their monthly socials. And the last one that we went to, he actually went and started greeting new dogs and he would like sniff them and let them sniff him. And it was just so fun to see that because before it was like he would tuck his butt and just like, no, do not sniff me. Do not say hello to me. Like, I am not okay with this. And now his confidence has just gone way up. So it's it's fun. Do you yeah. have anything, Danielle, to share about kind of how he was with you? Because you spent all that time with him. So Yeah. <laughs> so I heard the backstory about what happened to Apollo and what he was like and what they were struggling with. And I said, yeah, no problem. Bring him here. Let me eval him for the day and let's see what I can do for you. And right out the bat, everything they said was true. He was insecure. He was fearful. He was not comfortable away from his family. He had no confidence in himself or how to handle situations, not with just dogs, but with people and sounds like our furnace turned on the first day and he went crazy and like just completely overwhelmed. So we call that overstimulated and they react poorly because they don't know how to handle it. So he came a couple times a week and that first day we had him with little dogs by himself there were like 12 little dogs and him in a room and I sent a picture to Camry and she was terrified what did you do how is he there what's going on <laughs> and I'm like he's the biggest scaredy cat in the room he's up on the bench hiding from all these little dogs but he's making good decisions and we're there with him so he's looking to us to kind of get that confidence and understand how to handle things and if we gave him a bubble he wouldn't shut down or curl up or pee or any of that anxious mess of a dog that he was and socializing just improved after that we 
got him into big dog room and he was terrified of big dogs too because like he wanted to go up and greet them but the way he went about it it was kind of pushy forward and awkward and other dogs reacted poorly which made him react poorly and so we just slowed him down we shadowed him for a while which means we put him on a leash and we just shadowed him he went somewhere we went with him there was an instant he needed help and guidance out of a situation we would tug on the leash or we'd give him space and then um with his trauma with his kenneling i don't know what six seven eight months in we started putting him in a kennel and working through that stress and he actually started deciding to go in the kennel during social when he got overstimulated and was done playing because our socials during the day last two and a half hours two or three times a day and He's like, yeah, I'm done. And he sits by his kennel and we walk in and he just sleeps. And so the difference just with socialization and daycare was amazing to see his confidence change and his choices that he made, you know, were appropriate. And we did the aggressive training and the leash work and he had confidence in whoever held the leash after that. And he didn't have to make poor decisions because he just looked to whoever had the leash to go, oh, that's not a bad guy, cool. And then if you introduce him, you ask you know, the people high to ignore him and then you say hello, or do you wanna say hello? And he gets to make that choice. And if he doesn't want to, you step in and say, no, he doesn't wanna meet strangers today. you know. And then that gives him all the confidence in his owners, all the confidence in himself and that strangers don't push his buttons anymore. And he's blossomed. Our social, like she was saying, he was sniffing other people, other dogs. He left her side. Like that was huge. He's been a wallflower and a Velcro dog forever where he stuck by mom when mom was there. But um, he left mom's side and it was great to see him blossom and kind of get on his own four feet and improve so much in just what, a year? Yeah. Yeah. It's been about a year, I think. Maybe a little over a year. So and he'll be back too. He needs more socializing. So <laughs> he just need warm weather. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Darn snow. Yes, and wind. <laughs> you guys get a lot of that down there. I guess we kind of get the same here, but <laughs> it's really cool to hear those stories because I know Apollo from a very different perspective, being um, Camry's assistant and friend, and just seeing him in his like home environment. It's really weird for me to hear these stories and be like, "That's Apollo." Apollo did that because <laughs> he's just such a sweetheart but yeah um it really does speak to like dogs do react differently in different situations and I love that you have a space where you've got like so many different things going on to help them through that because I, I just I feel like that's really um unique I've worked with a couple of dog trainers before and it's always been more of like a private like they'll, they'll come to my home and help me at home which is great but my dogs don't get like that huge of a socialization. So that's really cool that you've got a facility that you can provide all of those different new stimuli. Yes, we call it a structured facility. And what really helps is the pack that we have that are structured and they're here all the time and they're staff dogs who know what to do and they act appropriately and they're well-balanced. They're our biggest tool. They are the ones teaching other dogs because that's how they learn. And then we're just there as a buffer and a guide to make sure things don't go wrong with the new dogs who get overstimulized and react poorly. Like Apollo's not the first or last dog we'll get that's been fearful and comes in and becomes friendly. We've got two boarding right now that came in as red dogs where they don't play with anyone. They just stay in their kennel and their mom and dad doesn't want any interaction with other dogs. And I 
looked at one dog and said, hey, dear owner, can we please try this? I feel like your dog really wants to. Can we teach her how? And we sent videos the next three days of her learning to play a little at a time. And she's now best friends with five of our dogs and they just play bouncy all the time. And she's an old girl with bad joints. So to see her act like a puppy, they're like, you brought my dog back to me. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> Oh, that's so cute. Do you get that a lot where owners are like, oh, I don't, don't want them to socialize? Is that more from a fear standpoint from the owners? Yeah, that's more from the owner's fear or they knew what happened before or this one incident, you know, this went bad and they only remember that, which gives their dog more anxiety. So I think Camry had a little bit of stress about that too at first because I was like, no, trust me, like do it. I have faith in you grow your confidence like you shouldn't be nervous about this like own it and once she did Apollo like yeah that's my mom she can take me anywhere you know and that's the same with these owners they just need to step out of the picture take away their stress and anxiety and then we'd let their dog learn to be a dog first and then we add in all the training steps after that I love that Camry yeah. from a from a trainer standpoint how was it for you to be in like more of the client standpoint and having to learn what you tell your clients because she's saying that I'm like oh my gosh you've told clients the same exact thing oh yeah so how was that for you well and part of it like with my um insecurity with it there's a certain level of judgment that you get as an owner of a pit bull um mm -hmm. If your dog misbehaves this much, it looks 10 times worse if it's a pit bull versus a chihuahua. I mean, you see these chihuahuas that people bring out in public and they sit there and, and they act like idiots. I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but if Apollo does that exact same behavior of like, rawr, 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 people lose it, you know, people go crazy. So I think a lot of that is just kind of the social pressure there of me not wanting to look like like my dog is dangerous because <laughs> I, I don't think he is. I think he is fearful and I think he needs guidance and I think he needs help and things like that. Um, but like, like Danielle said, she got me to the point where um, at that fall festival last year, um, I took both my dogs to this big fall festival, which spanned like golf five or eight blocks down main street. And they had all these booths and, and um, I was like, yeah, Apollo's ready to handle this. And he still has a little bit of leash uh, leash aggression with certain dogs. Most dogs he'll learn to just walk right past. But for some reason, there's a select few dogs that he will feel the need to kind of like, oh, feel like I need to protect mom. Um, but with just that confidence that Danielle gave me of learning how to teach him, no, I don't want you to protect me. You don't need to protect me from that dog. That dog just, let's just walk right past it. We'll ignore the dog. Um, and then just working with his thresholds, as far as, you know, I work a lot with thresholds of how close can he get to another dog where he can comfortably walk past that dog and not feel the need to do anything. Um, so yeah, it was definitely different feeling my own insecurities. Like Michaela said, where normally I'm the one helping my clients get over their insecurities and fears of their horse and and then the re the roles were reversed <laughs> and i had to learn to not project my fear or my even my pride i guess it would be that like i have a misbehaving dog you know <laughs> i'm supposed to be a trainer like shouldn't my dog be perfect 
Um, and now I'm just more comfortable that like, oh, he's fine. I can take him out in public. And if he does struggle a little bit, that's okay. Cause he needs to be out in public and he needs to experience this to learn and to grow. So we had, if you didn't know, we had 4,000 people show up to that. That's half of Richfield's population showing mm-hmm. up to that street festival. And he was walking in the middle of it and like you said, the dogs that he lunge at and to protect you, it's their energy. He doesn't like the cocky forward push you in your face because he does not like being face greeted. That's rude. It's inappropriate. And like the leash barrier is still like a barrier aggressive thing. So the fact that you can step up and go, yeah, no, we're good. Your threshold is this much space and we're done. We passed that. Thank you. I got this, you know, not changes his whole perspective on life with mom and out and about in those big crowds. So he did great. And mom and dad did great. And the kids were there and they were cute. <laughs> well, and one experience like with kind of this energy thing, like you said, he doesn't like those big, bold, like in your face kind of dogs. Um, there were several people that are kind of on the opposite end of the pitbull haters and there are the people that are like oh I love pitbulls and they just want to come up and meet him which again he loves most people but he did well and he met lots of people and I'm like yeah like let me you know and he would walk right up to him and and you know be panting and just smiling and happy and at one point we were waiting in line for my kids to do the rock wall to climb the rock wall and there was this guy that got in line behind us probably two two or three people behind us and uh he had this like vibe about him that I was like whoa like I could feel it and all of a sudden Apollo like he got tense and he lifted everything and he looked at this guy and I was like oh and this guy was just staring with like laser beams at Apollo and I'm like whoa this guy either had like some trauma with a pitbull in his life or with a certain type of dog that you know something like that but it was crazy to me to see because Apollo noticed it first and then I noticed Apollo and then noticed what he was noticing. <laughs> and it was just crazy to me to see how much he reacted differently to that guy because anyone else through the entire night, he was happy to go greet them if they, you know, if they wanted to and if he wanted to, like he just went up to anybody and everybody but not that guy. Like he was like, Oh no, mom, like <laughs> this guy's got some energy that I don't like. And it's just crazy how intuitive animals are just like horses are, you know, they sense our energy and they sense when we are tense and tight and nervous and, or if we are overbearing and, and uh, demanding and they sense all of that. So. Yep. Same thing. I not a horsewoman entirely. I used to ride, when I was little, but after having a fractured skull, I kind of had to bow out of the fun fall risk activities. Um, when I was scared or something, or there was a hill I had to climb and my uncle was challenging me, like they would kind of do circles and kind of say, hey, we got this. You know, they would give me confidence in their ability. And they're like, dude, this is a little hill. Let's do this. And I'm like, okay, we got this, you know? And it's the same thing with dogs. They, their energy and their body language they'll read someone way ahead of you. And like she said, Paulo spotted that guy from two, three people away and was like, mm, nope, don't like you. <laughs> and horses do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 100% do. I'm curious, was your fracture from a horse accident or was it from a different accident? <laughs> so it was from a car accident. And when I got back on a horse, when I was okay to do things, 
not wearing a motorcycle helmet or like restricted anymore I got bucked off of my uncle's horse and landed on a rock like a big boulder my hip was almost shattered and like they're like what about your head though what about your head I'm like my head's fine it's my hip my hip oh <laughs> oh I man all horse activity after that yeah I don't blame you <laughs> yeah that's two traumas them. really close together <laughs> I love them and I never got back on and I regret it but I love horses <laughs> just can't ride them right now right no they are pretty cool so just listening to like all the stories from an owner standpoint how do you help the owners like that are more nervous how do you help them go through that do they get to come to your facility and and practice or or how does that look so it looks similar to a daycare standpoint where you take your kids somewhere and they learn social skills but then you guys have your parent teacher meeting where the parents come and we show them videos about their dog's progress and report cards and pictures throughout the day. And then we sit down with them and go, okay, so this is your dog without you, your dog's behaving better and differently. So what are you guys contributing to this dog's reactivity or to this dog's insecurity, like free rain, free feeding and no kenneling take a huge effect in a dog's confidence and ability to process things or be anxious. And so I help them kind of shuffle through their life in like a flip book and go, oh, that page needs to be torn out. Oh, this needs to be added here. And it's okay, you didn't know, and I don't judge anyone, but this isn't working for your dog. So what can we do to help you get confidence in this area so that your dog doesn't have to resort to taking over for you? And I call it a totem pole. Other people call it the pack order. But the totem pole for me is just like, your energy and your spirit animal, the dog's somewhere on there because they have their own spirit as a dog. They should never be on top or above your spouses. Um, And so how to rework that and how to hold that energy and presence above that dog. And they kind of go, oh, that's all it takes. It's just a change of energy and mind. And then I give them the tools on how to do that. I give them packets, I give them hands-on experience. I do go to houses. It's very rare that I do because my facility kind of feels like a house in the living room, training room, because we want it to feel as close to home as possible. So they're not stressed here when they board or do daycare, but especially in training, we want them to know if they can jump on couches or not. So what do we do? We have couches, we have a TV, we watch TV at night, and then they get to go find where they want to be. And it just overall mentally helps the parents and the dogs when they can relate things like that in our facility to their home life. Oh, that's really cool. Um, You said something in there that I want to just ask you about, because I'm like, what is that? (laughs) But you were saying how um, like free rain, free food, no kenneling, like that leads to a more reactive dog or a more um, insecure dog. Can you explain to me like why that is? Because you'd think, well, they have freedom. Why would they be more more reactive, right? Yes. So just to start that story is we have a lot of rescue dogs and rescue owners and they want to give this dog the world, right? So there's no rules. There's no kenneling. There's no feeding time and there's a doggy door and they get free reign And they just want to pamper, pamper, pamper that dog. And what they're doing is they're humanizing it. They're giving it all the human stressors. Like dogs are supposed to sleep anywhere from 16 to 18 hours a day as an adult and as a puppy up to 20 hours a day. And if your dog is out all the time, they hear a sound. If they're napping on the couch, they jump up and go to the window and bark. 
because they think this whole house is now theirs and they're at the top of that totem pole and they've got to protect and guard and their anxiety levels and their reactivity go up because they have the barrier of the house now, the doors, the windows, they can't get to those sounds of those people to like weigh them out. Are you good? Are you bad? Are you friendly? Or do I need to eat you? Like they can't do that. So you're building an insecure dog, their anxieties and reactivity because you don't have rules in a natural order of a dog pack. They have rules and they have a hierarchy. And what I help parents do is to kind of set in a work rest play routine where your dog gets the kennel time. They get to sleep. They can choose to break anytime throughout the day if they're overwhelmed and go to their kennel. So you leave it opened. And a lot of dogs do. And they're like, I couldn't find my dog. And I'm like, go check your kennel. Oh my gosh, my dog's sleeping in the kennel and the door's open. I'm like, yeah, you guys were just too much for a minute and they needed a nap and that's their safe place. And then with feeding and potty training kind of going together with the crate, if you have a set feeding time, you're scheduling, you have a routine, and you can actually predict and watch your dog's bowel movements and potty times. And if something changes drastically, like they're, they have diarrhea or something, or they're not eating, you know right away with that set schedule that something's going on and you can get to the bottom of it quicker or you can get to the vet faster and stop things from escalating like a blockage or um, an allergy to foods. And it's just easier on the dog to function on a schedule than it is to be free reign because they stress too much about it. Yeah, that's cool. Boundaries. We talk yeah, a lot about boundaries. Say, <laughs> it relates to parenting and to horses. I mean, you can't let a horse just plow over you and not have a bubble or a boundary of like, no, you can't, you can't walk on top of me um, and things like that. And so I think it is kids too. They thrive with boundaries, knowing where the line is, how far can I go? And, and what are the rules here? Um, it's when kids or horses or dogs don't have boundaries, limitations, rules that they start getting into trouble. <laughs> they start making up their own rules and, and <laughs> doing all the things that you don't want them to do. So, And there's an opposite end of that where you have too much rules, too much con you know, constriction on what they can and can't do. And that can do the same thing. The dog's never allowed to get out. The dog's never allowed to meet people or other dogs or things. And then you create a barrier reactive dog because they just think everything's bad because that's how the owner presents the world to them. Nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't do that. And the dog's like, oh yeah? Well, eventually they can turn on the owner at that point. And so you have the higher risk of too many boundaries as well as no boundaries at all. Yeah. It is um, funny because Camry and I have done a couple of exercises with our horses. If for instance, my horse, we talk a lot about her on this podcast, but she has anxiety around loping and picking up the lope. And so one thing that we've practiced is not letting her lope, right? Like building her up almost to the point where she loves and go, oh, no, never mind. Like, I don't want you to lope. And it's been really funny to be like, she'll turn to me and then just lope, you know, and just lope off. And it's funny how animals will react that way when they're like, well, you're telling me I can't do it. Well, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm just going to do that. So <laughs> So I have a question for you. Um, where did you kind of learn or get the idea for how you structure your daycare and your training area? So we did a lot of the old school training with sports dogs and things. So I had a basic understanding that there's there has to be rules and a hierarchy kind of a thing. But I really got the structure from my time working at Heather Beck's Canine Lifeline up in Draper. 
she is one of the leading female dog entrepreneurs out there. And she's made the tool that I use, the sidekick, and she's patented that. And it's a game changer in the dog world, but the structure in itself, she is taking it one step farther than Caesar Milan. She did train with him for three years over in his California home base, but um, she's kind of taking it one step farther. He's still got a little bit of the old school in him. And that's why a lot of people don't like Caesar Milan anymore. But like, really what he's got is a very good structure that she went off of to do more behavioral, emotional corrections and working with the dog, not against the dog. And that's where you get a well-balanced trainer with the positive and the negative reinforcement without all bad rep. And we copied almost word for word, skill for skill. When I shadowed with her after I left there and polished up my own skills last year when I went to the conference and the workshop with her. And that's what we are structured off of. And it's happening to be more and more of a popular thing in the dog community where they see our facilities. There's like two of us in Utah and like six more in the States that are just like growing like wildfire and wild weeds. They're just a thing. People are like, I like the way you run it and I don't know how you run it, but let me learn because I want that because they can see how successful it is. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, me and you talked about this for a few minutes, um, probably a couple months ago about Caesar Milan, um, because it is, he is such a hot topic, like debatable topic of people either love him or they hate him. Um, I love most of what he does and I hate a few things that he does, but honestly, you're going to get that with any trainer, even in the horse world. Like someone's not going to do a thing the way you do it and you can disagree on it and you can agree to disagree on it and not cause problems because either way, that's the way we work and things, if they're improving, some people prefer one method over the other. So. Yeah. Well, and one thing I have noticed because I recently within the last year watched a lot of the dog whisperer shows, right. Which are like, older um and then I did watch his new better human better dog series as well and just seeing how he can like go into an owner's home and see all of this bad behavior that this dog is you know lunging biting um being aggressive anything like that and as soon as he takes the leash I mean it is less than a minute usually at most like five minutes and he can get this dog where it is calm confident like just trusting him so the energy that he works with with dogs I think is why he is as successful as he is but one thing I like to point out too is with dogs it is slightly different than with horses horses are a prey animal now these dogs are predators which means if they get on the top of the totem pole they become a danger to humans very very quickly very very quickly and Caesar deals with all of these dogs that are like red zone dogs that are will attack or or do those kinds of things so in an ideal world I think it would be wonderful if you could take an entire year like we have with Apollo to really just slowly within threshold build that confidence and build those skills but the fact of the matter is a lot of these dogs that Caesar works with are at their last straw last you know like they're going to be put down if they 
do not get fixed and fix the behavior now. So it's not an ideal world. It is the fact that they are a danger to humans and he has to fix the problem in a much more timely manner. And so I think that's where he can get a lot of that bad rap is he does have to expose these types of dogs to these situations that trigger them and be able to get them back from it very quickly. So it can look a little bit more intense, but what else are you going to do? Put the dog down. Yeah. Um, and so I do think there's kind of a, a, a balance there of you have to realize where he's coming from um, in yeah. what he does. So. So bouncing off of that in our last social, you were there with Bella, the other pity Husky mix and how right out the gate, she went after a mini poodle. And I have um, cattle whips as our tool to keep space and distance and to break up dog fights, but they also can stop dog fights. And a lot of people can love or hate us for using them, but I just did one snap on the butt with her and it was a harder snap. It had a crack to it and it sounded you know, more scary than it felt for her, but she laid down and was like, what? She's never been told no in her life. And she just attacked a small dog because that's what she knew. That's a toy. She'd never socialized with dogs any smaller than her. And after that, she just kind of looked at us, looked at the dog, looked at us. And we had her on a leash the whole time to shadow. And she just walked around and processed life. She didn't go back after that dog and we've had her out since because she does come with us about two or three times a week and she's never done it again. So like it was kind of stopping things from progressing because if that dog got in the mood for a hunt and prey activation, then you would have had trouble if that dog would have came to me months from now after killing a few dogs or cats or chickens. Like it's also helpful to be preventative, but if you have to get to a quick result, we do that. I have had a couple court dogs who've bit kids in the face and they have like two weeks to pass off a thing with me or else they put them down. And luckily and thankfully with the training that I've gotten through all these people is successful. They've all passed, they're all muzzle conditioned and it's not a fix, it's a management issue. It's how do you manage this? How do you lead your dog into a better way of handling stressors? And how do you let kids know that your dog's not friendly? You know, and muzzles don't always mean bad things. Muzzles can mean they're dumb and they eat rocks and they have to have surgery. And the parents are sick of like their fourth surgery of getting rocks out of their dog's stomach. So it's just that bad rep that muzzles get, but they can also be for bite risks and just advocate for your dog because that's the biggest thing I told Cammy with Apollo is just advocate, just tell people the, the way it is and that you're training and, you know, he doesn't love all the people and all the dogs but like if you would like to say hi let's ask them you know so it's really important that you advocate for your horses your dogs your kids even because they're all the same they need a little help I love that I love that a lot I actually I want to talk to you about the muzzle thing because um I've had a lot of cow dogs you know growing up and I feel like most of the horse women that I have we all have cow dogs of some sort whether it's a healer or it's an Aussie or or something um 
anyways, a few years back, my husband and I got a little healer and he was amazing. And I love them because they can keep up with me. They're a little bit more protective when I'm by myself. Um, and we ended up having to rehome this healer just because he got really, really aggressive. And it got really frustrating because I we were working with some trainers and we had gone and asked like, okay, could we put a muzzle on him? Could we do this? Because it's just, he was so unpredictable. And we were actually told like, no, no, like that, that shouldn't be an option. You shouldn't do a muzzle. And now like I look back at that, I'm like, I should have just not listened and gotten one because then we could have probably managed the issue a lot better. But then it got so escalated that it was just we couldn't manage it and he needed to go somewhere to mm -hmm. someone who could. Um, but I, I'm like to listen to you say like, oh, I could have put a muzzle on him because we had a lot of people just like, no, mm -mm. like muzzle shouldn't be that because you're going to be labeling your dog and all of this and stuff. So the people judging you, that's really all it is. Like if you can say, Hey, my dog is a bite risk, but if he's got the muzzle on, he can't bite anyone and everyone's safe. So you should be more comfortable that I have a muzzle on my dog, but also he loves to play. It's just that 1% of time where that play turns to bite because he got hurt, offended, or something happened and I'm being proactive. And I know people that are like, oh, your dog's in a muzzle. Oh, thank you. You know? And then they don't find out till later that it's because the dog eats everything. <laughs> so right. I will always advocate for muzzles because it just saves lives. Like you said, you had to get rid of the dog. If you can say my dog comes muzzle trained and you manage it like this because of this, people are like, that sounds easy. He's a great dog out, you know, besides outside with other things that trigger him, but inside he's wonderful. Yeah. Why not have the muzzle in your back pocket? Mm -hmm. My muzzle can like in that. every dog I train. Um, I have two service dogs right now and they're all muzzle trained. If you want to check out my story from Tip Tuesday yesterday, um, it, we actually did a muzzle training video. So it's just something you want to have in case you have to go to the vet and your dog doesn't know your vet, doesn't like shots, doesn't like pain. Um, in emergencies, if your dog breaks a leg out on the mountain, how to get your dog off the mountain. Like you can be bit if you touch your dog the wrong way when they're in pain. So mm -hmm. having a muzzle is just convenient to handle situations where it's just not going to escalate. Yeah, I love that actually, especially from a safety standpoint, just as a tool that you can use in situations like that. I've had, I've had situations like that out in the middle of the mountain where I had a dog get kicked and broke her foot. We thought maybe she had lost her eye and it was a quick emergency, like get off this mountain, take her to the, take her to the emergency hospital, vet hospital. Um, luckily she was very chill and very understanding of everything. Cause it was not an ideal situation when we had to pull her off the mountain. It was in the middle of the night and it was just not great, but I love that reframe of, Hey, it's just a tool, you know, cause I feel like we, we label muzzles as being really cruel, but I mean, when you think about it, they're not really like they can still breathe, they can still do things. And if you're managing it correctly, like you said, it's just a supportive tool. I like that. It's one of my favorite tools to use with reactive dogs, period. But I will tell you a story because I, like I said, I trained my dogs to be muzzled and my dogs have never had issues at the vets. But this one time I didn't have it, my dog got a shot that burned. And so we're just doing things like normal. And then all of a sudden she's getting burned by the shot that hurt. She turned around and luckily I had her in a hold, a light hold. She almost bit the vet because it hurt. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like shocked and horrified. I'm so sorry. He goes, it happens. And now that I teach pet CPR and first aid, like I understand this now. 
and I advocate for it so hard because I'd rather that dog not bite a doctor and just, you know, have the muzzle on and get nuzzle bumped because those hurt too, but they don't bite. So for Fred, nuzzle bump over bite. Don't bite the hand that's trying to save you, please. (laughs) Yeah. They don't understand that shot is helping them. (laughs) It just hurts. (laughs) Well, and they also like muzzles have come a long way too, because I have one for Apollo and we rarely use it. Um, But I have it kind of like you said, like for unique situations, if we had to take him to the vet or if he got really hurt. But it's a basket muzzle, but it has an opening where I can feed him treats through it and he can drink through it. Um, So instead of it just being completely locked down where he can't eat, he can't drink, he can't hardly open his mouth, he can open his mouth, he can pant in it so he can, you know, have his mouth wide open, have his tongue out. Um, And so it's, it's nice being able to have him wear something like that and feel like he can still do all of the basic functions he needs to do and not feel like I'm restricting him so much. (laughs) More of just that tooth barrier, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So with all of that, because um, we've we've talked a lot about too, just when when is it okay to rehome your dog? When is it okay to make that decision? Because it is such a hard decision. I mean, coming from my standpoint where we had to do that with one of the one with one of our dogs, it is heartbreaking. Like I still want to cry over that stupid dog. You know, loved him so much. But for you, from a dog trainer standpoint, when would you actually encourage owners to rehome a dog or to to look in other avenues other than keeping the dog themselves yeah so I've actually had to do this a few times and it's awful and you cry too and everyone's horrified and you've done everything you can at that point so it's like literally this dog can't be managed or rehomed after you've you know or rehabilitated in your home after we've done all of these tools and tricks and training and it usually comes down to the parents and the family not having the right structure and time for the dog. And so the dog can't grow or improve. It only gets worse. So another video on our Facebook timeline was Pepper. It was the aggressive dog who bit everybody in their house through the door. For four years, he was kenneled and no one visited them. But he also had free reign and free feed and free everything when he wasn't kenneled when people knocked on the door. And so happy to announce he's been rehabbed and the family has managed expectations for the dog that people can now come to the house, but he has to be leashed first to process and sniff and greet people. And once that happens, they just ignore him because if they pressure that dog, he'll bite them. If you reach down, he'll bite you, even for his owners. If you don't ask or acknowledge that you would like to pick him up and you just reach down and touch him, he'll bite the owners. He's just scared and he doesn't understand. And if you surprise him, I would bite too if someone surprised me with a back touch, you know, like, whoo, excuse you. But we definitely try to do basic obedience, rehab training, management, and then just if it's not the right fit after that and you can't manage with the schedule the dog needs, that's unfortunately the time that we help rehome. And with the training that we do and with the advocation that we have once they're trained with us, they end up getting placed quicker from the home to a home so they never have to go to the shelter. I do work with the shelter here and up north with animals. Um, Oh, I just lost the name. Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, there it is. Wow, that was hard. Um, 
I volunteered there before and helped walk red dogs and aggressive animals and with the help that we offer as trainers to show them what the dog needs and how you should place them, they get placed quicker and easier than without the help from a trainer to help them kind of show a, sh uh, a happy light on things and that it's a hopeful situation instead of a, oh, that dog's aggressive, no thank you. Hey, that dog's only aggressive with dogs who are attacking first. He's more protective than aggressive. And so they're like, oh, well, we live on this property and we have a fence and we don't have any other dogs, so that'd be perfect. We kind of want a guard dog at our house. You know, with those notes, it helps them get rehomed. And same with client dogs. If they really can't do it, we advocate for them and we work with best friends, society, so that we can get them adopted again. But it does suck. It is hard. And there's no guarantee that the dogs will get adopted out because there's so many shelters and pounds that are just to the max. So we try everything we can do until there's nothing else we can do. And that's when we offer that um, rehoming option. But if we end up doing that and they are rehomed, what I offer clients and anyone looking for a dog is a consult with me because you shouldn't get a dog based on color, breed, or what you think you want because you should always get a temperament check first maintenance price of a dog time that you have family who's going to be working with the dog the most and who's not and how long you guys are away from home and are you going to be able to do daycare or are you going to be able to have people rotate schedules enough because you have to create work rest routine your dog or else you cause the anxious messes or the aggressive ones and so that meeting is just one hour 100 bucks Let's find a dog for you and I can help you guys find the litter, the breed, a rescue dog that fits your needs. And therefore you don't have to rehome the dog afterwards because it fits what you want. And I would advocate for that forever and always. Yeah, that's a powerful tool to have. Do Is that in person only or do you do like could in somebody person. hop on a Zoom call with you too? Yeah. In person Zoom with that one, I can even come to houses um, I just want that one to be a thing that people do so they don't have to rehome a dog because they got the wrong fit. Because mm -hmm. then you yeah. just traumatized a dog, made things worse, or this dog thought this was forever home and then they go back to the shelter and then they're depressed and then they don't get adopted because they shut down. So if I can avoid that, that's a tool that I will do over phone calls, Zoom, Skype, in person. I'll show up to your house, awesome. <laughs> doctor your house for your next dog. Like I'll help. We'd rather you know, save a life than send a life back and try to find another one, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's what's so important because so many people get puppies because they're so cute. Or I think this breed is cute. They get something because they think it's cute. And really, you need to pick something that fits your lifestyle. So if you it, say you live in a an apartment building, so you don't have a yard, and then you get a cattle dog and you work a 10 hour a day job, you are setting yourself up for failure there. That's, that is not the life for a cattle dog. Or um, a husband, or a or, great day. Yeah. <laughs> a Scotty, don't do those. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think it's so important to know that you can go approach, like, even if you, um, have never met the dog trainer in your local area go talk to him maybe they'd be willing to do something like that hop on a zoom call with danielle and find out what type of dog will fit your lifestyle and how much time you have to exercise the dog and 
and how much time they're going to have to spend alone or if you have a yard and all those things to take into consideration because it it does need to match your lifestyle or you will end up with problems with your dog <laughs> so yes, yeah. you call it puppy or new dog blues you get a dog and then you're regretting getting the dog mm-hmm. we have an older couple that was gifted a cute puppy and it's a chihuahua mini Aussie mix they're seniors ready to retire, but they're still working full-time right now for at least three, five more years. Oh boy. With me for four days because they were going to get rid of it. And now they love it, but it also doesn't fit their lifestyle, but they're, they're making a change to make sure it fits because they love him so much. He is cute. Mm. Please don't do that breed though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really bad. <laughs> well, and I feel like from trainers standpoints and Camry and I's work with our clients it's it's a very similar situation as what you're describing with getting the cute puppies we we get a lot of oh but he's so pretty it doesn't matter if he's two and I don't know how to ride you know he's he's (laughs) he's black or he's he's a palomino and I just he's just beautiful and he was cheap yeah he was cheap or Mm -hmm. um I'll have a lot too where I'll get situations where um, I've had clients buy horses, you know, against my, (laughs) against my suggestions and then they're attached and then they figure out that, oh yeah, you were right. This horse isn't the right horse for me, but now I'm attached. So. And now we've got to get another dog. And now we have dogs. Yeah. And it's double the work. (laughs) Yep. Now they've got four horses instead of just the one. And it's the exact same situation. And it is interesting to try to talk with them and, and explore the other avenues of, you know, maybe it would actually be better to sell this horse and allow this horse to, to have a home that it actually fits in and to have a situation where the person, you know, the person can actually handle the issues or help them through these issues that you can't, um, do you ever come up with that when you're talking to clients about rehoming their dogs where they're just like, absolutely, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Cause I feel like more often than not, when I'm talking to people about their horses, I, I get that resistance of, nope, it's fine. We're just going to keep them and they can be pasture pets. I don't care. <laughs> yes. You get the hard no. And it's usually based off of feelings and how much money you spent on the dog because we spent so much money and we got a trainer. You're supposed to fix it. Well, I can't fix things that are never going to be managed. I do have a few people in mind that they told me, absolutely not, we're not getting rid of the dog, it's not an option. And I said, okay, who's quitting their job? Like I get real and I get honest and I do have a thing in my office here that says, um, if you don't wanna know, don't ask because I'm gonna tell you how it is. And you're like, should I really keep this dog? The answer is no, I'm gonna say no, just like that. And I'm not gonna sugarcoat it because if they can't have someone quit the job, this dog could not be kept. And they're like, well, well, um, um, and I'm like, okay, so we're getting rid of the dog and we'll get you a dog that matches you better. Right. But we love him and he's cute. And we spent 1400 on getting him. And I'm like, well, but you're making him a problem and you're going to get a bite risk on you. And if he bites one more time, I have to put you down for behavioral euthanasia or euthanization. There we go. And they hate me for that. And I'm like, but if you have a bite record and it's a level five and it's the third time it's happened as your trainer, I have to do that. I have to report it. I have to send you in. And I would rather get your dog rehomed to a better place than put your dog down. And like, I, that's where they kind of see the reality of it. Like they really aren't helping this dog. 
And that's when they, you know, cry the tears and call me back going, okay, you're right. After something else happens, you know, and I hate doing it. I love these people. I love my clients and I love their dogs to death. I get more attached to the dogs than I should, but that's part of the job. We love what we do and we love the dogs or horses that we work with and we want what's best for them. And sometimes it's not the family that called you in and they, they hate you for it. But then later on they see that, Oh, you're right. Then they get the dog that you found for them that fit their family. And they're like, Oh my gosh, singing praises after they just cussed your name out forever for, you know, getting rid of the other dog. And it's hard emotionally, but it does end up being fulfilling when that other dog comes into their life and they go, Oh, this is so nice. And I'm like, this is what it should be. And they're like, well, we would have never done that if, you know, we never met you. And I'm like, you're welcome. You think, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> welcome. I love it. So I think as trainers, we do have that responsibility to advocate for the animal more than, more than the person who's paying us. Um, and I think that's something that clients don't really realize when they come to us, right? Like it's like, yes, you are paying us to do something with your horse, but at the end of the day, you're also paying for us to advocate for your animal too. And we're going to do that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a win-win that way too. Um, the dog won't, wouldn't feel fulfilled. Neither do the people. They might get bit. They might end up in the hospital or their kid or their grandkid or their neighbor. So really like, yes, it is advocating for the animal, but you're also advocating for the human. <laughs> um, it Even is, it's full. Yeah. Even if they don't feel like you are, you are. <laughs> so I have been curious. I want to hear a little bit about your journey with um, Coda. She was your first service dog, right? She was. Oh my gosh, Coda. <laughs> getting her to be an emotional support animal because I was having a rough time in pharmacy for eight years. I was kind of getting worn out and hated life and didn't want to come home and do anything. And so me and my doctor decided that emotional support animal might be beneficial because it would give me something to do when I got home. It would get me walking outside in the sunshine and would give me purpose, you know, besides just rolling out of bed for work. And we went to the shelter and she was my fifth dog because I do the same thing. I went and looked for a temperament and a breed and I had my roommate with me who was my support system at the time and she knew what we needed to fit for our apartment and my needs and my life and my wants. And we just went through and this dog I got was my fifth dog. And it was because of my roommate. I didn't want a Husky. I don't like howling fur shedding Huskies and my home, but she was a German shepherd lab mix is what they said she was. And so I was like, okay, we'll try it. She has German shepherd. She's going to be a good work dog, you know? And I get her home and she's a door bolter. She jumps fences in the dog park. She runs down 52nd Main Street, you know, where um, Shane Co is, um, Murray. That's the street she'd run down and escape. And she was just a howly kid. And I was like, oh my gosh, this dog's going to be the death of me. But I love her. <laughs> So I changed my work schedule. My roommate changed some stuff up and we taught her when I got really seriously into dog training was around this time when I started working at Canine Lifeline. And I was like, oh, she likes working. Oh, she's really good at this skill. Let me keep adding skills. 
and tasks is what it turned into. And everyone's like, something's changed. What's, what's different about you? You're happier. You're, you're more, you know, outgoing and, and energy fulfilling. Like you look like you're not dead anymore. I'm like, well, thank you. Um, I have a dog. And so when we got to the doctor and he's like, yeah, you're doing great. He's like, have you ever thought of making her your service dog? And I'm like, no, it's a service dog. You know, I didn't know anything. And so once he said that, it kind of went downhill from there. I had books, I had podcasts, I had mentors, I had an online academy, I had friends that were all in service dog work once I opened that book up and chapter and searched for it. And she just became the best dog. She's got 100% recall. She does all these tasks for my heart rate and my depression. And she keeps adding things to her list without me knowing, but she's taking care of me like I'm taking care of her. And so she is kind of the one that kind of started this Elle's pampered pause when I moved back home in 2020 because of COVID. I didn't have anything to give her here. We had a yard and that was it. There was no dog park. There was no social aspect. There was no community to be friends with because we had a community up there. Yes, it started at a dog park and we changed it up once we learned how bad dog parks are. But we had a daycare. We had training buddies. We had playdate friends. We had an apartment buddy that we would text each other, go and potty. Do you want to go with us? And we'd walk down together and hang out. And so coming here, she's the reason I started Elle's Pampered Paws. I didn't have anything for her to do, so I made something. And I get service dogs all the time. I get police dogs all the time where their owners are like, well, we used to take her to the pound board, but like they get so much here. Yeah, we're a little pricey, but you get what you pay for. And every dog that comes here leaves happy and they love coming here again. So like their parents are like, we pulled around the corner and my dog knows where you are. So they go crazy. They want to jump out of the truck and run to you. And I'm like, ooh. They're like, yeah, we had to put a leash on. So I was like, thank you. But Oda's kind of my inspiration for all of this. And then when I did a oh, adoption event, <laughs> I learned not to host those anymore. <laughs> I help with them, but I don't host them anymore. But I temperament tested every puppy that they brought. And she was an eight out of 10 for service dog work. And Coda's retiring in the next two years because of her age and her health, she's not gonna be working the full 12 years of her life, just the first 10. So I got a puppy to train for the next two years and she's just as good as Coda or even better if I do say so. Don't tell Coda that though, she'll, she'd cry and tell me <laughs> how she feels with her husky howls. But um, she's the one who started it and she's my rock. And let me give you this cute little thing that everyone can't see, but these guys can. It's a little service dog card with a cartoon of Coda. And it <laughs> what she does and what the ADA laws are for service dogs. And she has let me get more freedom by going out in public again and being safe when I have a heart issue and I faint. Like, I don't have to stress if she's not like, I, or I wouldn't stress if like I would if she wasn't there because I don't know always when I'm going to pass out or if my watch is dead because I forgot to charge it the night before. So she's my saving grace and... I love her. That's it. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Maybe I should twirl, says my Siri watch. Well, and uh, here's my little two cents as well on you saying you're a little pricey. <laughs> you do not charge enough for what you do. <laughs> like your prices are nothing. Like if you think about everything that you include in within daycare, 
you would pay the same amount that most people are paying you just to have your dog boarded and fed, watered, and kept in a kennel and not socialized, not taken out on walks, not nothing. Like they would just stay in a kennel slash yard and that's it. And you provide so much more. And so I'm like, yeah, don't, don't say you're. So (laughs) there's your push to raise your prices. (laughs) I'm like, pricey. Well, Richfield says everybody's pricey. <laughs> yeah. But I love them and Richfield needs us. So mm-hmm. yeah. we're just showing off what we do and it, it's spreading. Word of mouth is huge and we keep getting more calls and more calls than I thought I'd be getting by this time at two years old. But I'm ecstatic and we're meeting everybody and exceeding expectations. And that's all I could ever ask for with my staff. So yeah. I'm a happy girl. Yeah, that's amazing. And your uh, new dog, Luna, is Apollo's best buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like each other. <laughs> she helps boost his confidence. And that was the thing I wanted to mention, too, and kind of why I was asking about your service dogs is um, when you mentioned your structure and how the balanced dogs in the daycare, um, you know, in those socials help with those dogs that are uncertain. Um, because it's amazing to see the way that Coda and Luna move through a room with all these dogs. I mean, how many did we have at the last social 20 in this like living room size area? With two in the kennel. Yes, we had 20 in there, but 18 out with Apollo. Yeah. 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 And it was, it's just cool to see the, the very well balanced dogs that even with the ones that are kind of a little bit nervous or the ones that like, don't know, like the overbearing ones that are like, I'm going to come and put my chest on you and, and do all those things. And they're just like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, <laughs> and it's, it's fun to see that dynamic. So. Yeah. They will either give you a big bubble because you're shy and they want you to kind of do it yourself or they'll correct you. And there is a part where that could be overcorrecting, but with our group that we have, they're all appropriate correctors and they don't overcorrect. Humans can overcorrect easy, but the dogs, they correct the right amount because they speak doc. Mm-hmm. And to let my dogs do a lot of the work that I've trained them for is what makes our daycare so successful. I love that. So going along just that most of our listeners or all of our listeners are horsemen or women, <laughs> um, mostly horsewomen and Probably, I would say 99% of them probably have a dog that is going on rides with them and that's around their horses and all of the things. So with that in mind, what would you, like, if you could give them one piece of advice for their dog and how to handle their dogs in those kinds of situations, what would you say? I know you have to be loud when you're recalling a dog but never have a tone of anger in your voice and your dog will always come and love you no matter what the situation. Cause I know you get like scared or nervous when you're up on the mountain and there's a rattlesnake or like something happened. Like there's a bear and the horse and the, the dog are like horse, like let's go dogs. Like I'm going to get it. You know, you never want to sound angry because the more angry and fear you have in your voice, the dog's going to want to either more protect you or run from you because they don't want to get in trouble. So if you can always, watch your tone of voice when you're calling your dog to you that will never fail if you do it in the right tone every time not that you guys yell at your dogs but I've been there myself and (laughs) when you yell you have the mommy voice and maybe avoid the mommy voice yeah yeah so like I wish I could say I never yell but (laughs) right 
that's definitely happened. Just like <laughs> Apollo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Apollo. Yep. yep. Well, and, and he's one. Like, okay, here what treat? Yeah. Game, what are we doing? You know, yep. there's a difference, and they know well, it. I'm trying to remember which dog trainer it was. I think it was Beckman's. Beckham Beckman's dog training anyway um and he had I liked the way he said it which was call your dog to you like their name is a treat yes and I loved that I was like yes like say his name like Apollo like Apollo. come here like, yes mom <laughs> and then on the opposite side of that using that little ch- noise or some type of noise like Caesar Milan does really helps keep a negative tone out of a correction because then it's a noise that has no tone to it as far as like a or a uh, anything like that. And so it really helps kind of keep a little bit more of a neutral tone to a correction. So yep, and we use the word uh-uh just like that. Uh-uh for anything. And they go, uh-uh what? And everybody will stop and look at us like, who are you uh-uhing? Like, what's going on? And it's not a no. We don't use the word no here as often as we can help it. Sometimes we slip it because we're human, but uh-uh and is very neutral safety and even with our crops if we can do a crack in the air we're like hmm like the crack isn't a punishment it's just an alert what they look at you like hey what's next like what why why'd you do that yeah and it shifts gonna go hide in the corner now yeah it shifts their focus away from what they're zoning in on that is getting them aggravated or anxious or stressed and so then that that noise, that snap or crack of that whip kind of gets them like, oh, oh, hello. Like, hey, Danielle, <laughs> you're, you you're want? here still. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Yep. So just your tone when you call your dog, you'll never have your dog run from you, fear from you or ignore you if that's something you struggle with. If you use that kind of neutral tone all the time, every time. And if you never call your dog in an angry voice from the beginning, they'll never know what the angry voice means. So when you do it like for the rattlesnake thing and it just blurred out, they're going to be really concerned and startled. So they're hopefully going to come to you like, you okay? Like if it does happen, but like what happened to you? <laughs> a lot of people don't know or do without doing it on purpose. But if you think about it and have that as like a rule of thumb, your dog will come to you every single time if you call it like a treat or a positive neutral tone. Yep. I like that a lot. Um, so I have something I just would love to hear your opinion on (laughs) before we jump off. Um, but I have like electric fences for my horses, right? My dogs have been shocked by the electric fence once and once was enough. Now they will not come out of their kennel. They will not explore because they have no idea where this electric fence is. And I feel so bad, but I'm like, how do I, if me or another person's having this issue where their dog is now too scared to even come out of their kennel unless they know like if it's if we're going for a specific walk then yeah 100 they're out of the kennel but if i'm doing chores or anything and i leave the kennel door open they will go put themselves away if i'm if i'm not 100 focused on them so if you would like them to branch out the easiest thing you could do with your electric fences on your property is you know those little metal flags with like the neon colors mm-hmm you place that a foot and a half away from your fence line and walk your dogs around it with them at a heel and kind of just exploring, they're going to notate that that flag is safe. That distance from the fence is safe. If they cross that, they're getting too close to the um, the barrier and the thing that 
hurt them before so they're never going to do it again but if you want them to kind of keep going around the yard that's how they know where that barrier is is if you can give them a visual barrier with the flags and eventually the flags can go away but to start it put the flags out have some treats kibbles in your pocket and just do a walk with the dogs and every time they come with you and hang out with you by the orange flags give them a treat that's a really good idea because I've been like trying to brainstorm how to fix this issue <laughs> for forever. But that's a good idea having a visual cue because I knew with the um, like the dog electric fences, there's normally a sound, right? And I was like, how could we create a sound? Vibrates or shocks yeah. is the next step, but also that's how they start. They put the flags down so the dog notates that if they cross this, they're going to get a beep, and if they cross another tag, it's going to vibrate and then shock at another tag. So they have like a very three foot radius with three different color flags and the dogs teach themselves with the sounds, vibrations and the shock, what flag means what. And if you have them around your whole yard, that's what the visual barrier is for them. And the color, I know they don't see colors, but they can see like first flag, second flag, third flag, mm-hmm. and then just adapt. And then eventually all the flags are gone. Very cool. Yeah. So we actually ended up uh, so my entire property is fenced except my driveway and we ended up putting in a in the ground fence just for the driveway so we couldn't put the flags up because we would drive over them <laughs> so what I ended up doing to teach our dogs was I leashed them and then like Danielle said our collar would vibrate before you would get to the zone where it would shock and so what I would do is I would walk them past it and then as soon as we would get to the vibration spot I would just lead them away and then I would lead them to it to where they would feel where that vibration was and then we would walk away and we would repeat that until they realized oh this spot right here is the spot where that happens nowhere else that we were walking did they get that vibration Um, and so then they were able to um, it it did take them some time um, but they did learn how to work around that but the first probably couple of weeks that we did it um geronimo he's 12 now he was scared to even like go anywhere near like he was like i am giving this like a 50 foot birth (laughs) 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 and then now he knows that like he can go most places and he's like okay it's just this one small area that i can't go um but yeah it was just so funny because he was like nope And you can make that barrier anywhere. So I have an out of my kitchen line that's invisible. If they cross my um, island, hey, that's no kitchen zone. Get out of my kitchen. And so you can do that too with like the perimeter without the flags. You can just ride your horse, have the dog come with you and just go uh uh-uh, and call them away from the line at a certain distance too. So there's a lot of different ways. If those don't work for you, give me a call. We can come up with a different strategy because not one dog or situations like the other. So we got to find what works for you guys. So you guys actually do it so you can be consistent because that's the key. I love that. So can I say one more quick thing? (laughs) One of my favorite parts of working with Apollo this last year has been creating those invisible barriers. It is the funnest thing to play with because so much in a human world, you get so used to walls, doors, windows, physical barriers right and so anytime my dogs would start barking while they were in the house when someone pulled up I would go put them in the breezeway so that they couldn't come charge the front door and things like that I would use physical barriers to manage it 
And as soon as I started using those invisible barriers of, no, you cannot cross this line. You know, this is, this is the barrier. You cannot come closer and played with that. And even in the mornings, when I take my kids out to the bus, I will leave the door. Well, not when it's freezing cold, like it is right now, but in the warmer weather, I would leave the door open and I would make the dogs stay in the house with the door wide open until we walked all the way up our driveway which is a long driveway and we would stay stand there waiting for the bus and then I would give them the go-ahead that they could cross that barrier and I would call them um, but it was it's just been so fun because I'm like wow like his stay has improved so much because now he's like oh mom set the barrier this is where I gotta stay <laughs> and same with like food like when we eat dinner and when we serve the dogs dinner of making them wait and have that patience and that stay and that wait command. And it's so fun. So play with invisible barriers. They're so fun. And honestly, dogs are not bred to have wall barriers. They understand invisible barriers. That is their language. They they communicate with that energetic barrier of like, mm -mm, <laughs> don't cross that line. So it's it's just so amazing to see how fast they pick up on that. And everything training wise is a game. Your dogs love challenges and a job. And if their job is just to play games with you for training every day, all day, they're going to be the happiest dog in the world. Like invisible barriers, enrichment activities, like the list can go on. I can keep you here for days, but um, they love that. They're either people pleasers for praise, treats, or toys. And if you can find which one your dog is, or if there's multiple, you'll never run out of things to do with your dog and be training them the whole time and they don't even know it. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love it. I'm laughing cuz you say I have one dog that I swear he's he's got to be inbred or something cuz he's just <laughs> love him but <laughs> he's he's a he's a little bit on the slow side. Um and it's been funny trying to train him because I've we've got a brother and a sister, so same moms, but obviously different dads because they look 100% different. Um, the only thing that's the same is their color. They're both black, but that's about it. Um, mm -hmm. The sister is extremely intelligent. She picks up things like in an instant. She's really easy to train. She just is really good, but man... I kid you not, her brother, it took us two years for him to really understand what his name was. <laughs> and then like to teach him how to fetch. Oh my gosh, guys, I've never had a dog just not have that instinct, but we'd throw the ball like two inches, then run with him and then pick up the ball and put it in his mouth and then pet him and go, oh my gosh, you're such a good dog. And then he'd give us the ball back. And we just did that. Now he'll kind of go after it and start to bring it back. But like, I have never had to do like such small steps for a dog before. It's been really interesting. What's so I'm like, yeah, if I can ask, sorry, what say that again. What does he do good? He loves getting in the truck. That is the one command he that he is, is like. People praiser. He doesn't really always love love, but he wants to be with you, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. His job is just to go with you and keep the truck warm where he sits. Yep, yep. No, and he's so cute because he'll. Um, when we go on walks, we go on lots and lots of walks, and he's always right in between the both of us. That is his spot, and doesn't matter. Like if I move and I go to the other side of my husband, he moves and goes right back in between us. And if we're too close, then he comes in and pushes us apart, so he can be right my in between. Spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's. I love him to death. He's like the cutest 
dog ever and just sweetheart oh my gosh he's so good with the like our nephews that come over but it is it's been it's been funny to try to train him because I'm used to cow dogs like that's we've always had either straight cow dogs or cow dog mixes and they've always been able to pick up things so fast and with him it's just been super slow oh and Apollo made an entrance <laughs> hi Apollo he said hi buddy he said hi mom I woke up from my nap I saw the pity tell and I was like, ooh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining yes. us today, Danielle. This was great. That's a coda. <laughs> <laughs> Got all the dogs. The <laughs> I, I appreciate it. you guys letting me join. I've loved your podcast so far. And Michaela, I haven't stalked you yet, but Camry, I stalk with all her horse videos and I watch them and relate them to dog training every time I do. <laughs> <laughs> if you have some I'm gonna go stalk you now just so you know I've got little bits of it a lot of my stuff is mostly nutrition and fitness but <laughs> but there are there are little horse stuff interspersed <laughs> well if you get a bombardment of likes and things it's me hey I appreciate it I'll stalk you too now I'm like oh I've got to go watch all these videos <laughs> you have to watch the pepper video and our Instagram it will make you smile every day we have dogs that just make you giggle it's great so with that will you tell us um how to get a hold of you so like a website um social media all those things phone number yeah so our website is lspamperedpaws.com and that is e-l-s pampered paws so not spanish with the pampered paws but my name is l i go by l and so lspamperedpaws.com our facebook page is lspamperedpaws luxury boarding daycare and training our phone number is 435-893-6661. We also have Instagram. It's EPP underscore Richfield, Utah. Well, thank you again and uh, hope you have a good week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.